You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and this is Farmer's Kitchen, brought to you by Spinney's. It is all about food and asking on today's show, does it have the power to heal? We were joined by a number of guests who believe it's played a huge role in their health. From olive oil in assisting in cancer treatment, we were speaking to the founder of a new company who is passionate about tasting the good stuff. We were also in conversation with a former human rights leader legal expert with the UN, who's now back in Dubai offering really healthy meal delivery. What is her motivation for that huge career pivot? We're also touching on a sweet end to your week with Barak, speaking to the husband and wife team behind a homegrown bakery. Zara Abdullah of Zara's Kitchen on hand, discussing her new range on the shelves. And have you ever tasted Nigerian food? A man who wants to introduce it to was live in the studio. He reckons his jollof rice is the best. Plus, what impact does a restaurant guide and the inclusion have on an eatery's footfall? An editor shared all. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. We are meeting passionate people, uh, people who are truly lovers of sharing good food and the philosophy behind their food as well. And now it's all about olive oil. Magdalena Ojahoska. Hope I got it right, Magdalena. Yes, I did. She's the founder and CEO at Aroma de Olio. She's also a student at the Olive Oil School of Spain, soon to be a fully certified master olive oil consultant and sommelier. This is so interesting. How are you this afternoon? Uh, Hi, Helen. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've got so many questions. You're originally Polish, been in Dubai nine years, and obviously a real passion for kind of the Mediterranean diet. Tell us a little bit about how you've come to work in food, because that wasn't always the case. You were in retail for a long time. Yes, that that wasn't the case for a very long time. Uh, I studied finance and banking. And then I went very quickly to work for retail as a retail buyer. Uh, And I used to buy and source furniture and homewares from all over the world. So I used to go to factories in China, in Eastern Europe, all over. But it was never anything to do with food. So how do we find ourselves now as the founder and CEO of Olive Oil? Tell us about this. I know it's such a massive shift uh, in my professional life. It did happen um, at a certain point of my life when things were not going as smoothly as they they could have, as they should have. Um, About five, almost five years ago, uh, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, goodness. It was just like five days before Christmas. So it was at a time when we were planning celebrations, Christmas branches. Uh, and then I got the news. So obviously my life turned upside down. I went, I hibernated at home. This is what, what happened because the news were so unexpected. I really didn't think I was in the risk group. You know, why would it happen to me? And now I ask the question, why wouldn't it happen to me? Because mm-hmm. it happens so often. Mm-hmm. But what happened as a result? So for the first probably two weeks, you... What you do, you just get thinking and Googling and, and, and trying to figure out what to do with your life or whether you will even survive this because it's such a hev- such heavy news. Mm. Um, but with the help of amazing friends and family, um, I decided to fight, right, to go out and fight. And 
But because I went to Google before I went to anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) I think Uh, you would not be alone in that. Dr. Google is very, very popular. Very popular and you get a totally different advice depending Mm -hmm. on where you click, right? Uh, But after that heavy, heavy search, I decided I do want to do a couple of things for myself. First was the traditional treatment. Um, because I was, when I was diagnosed, it was already late. It was stage three, it was advanced. It started to spread. Um, so I decided, okay, I will do what my lovely doctor tells me. So, uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgeries, I will do all of that. But somehow it felt like it's not enough. And I wanted to do something I have control over with. So I started reading and and researching about the food and what I can do there. Um, And I realized that the very common uh, pattern in the way of eating is that you start getting rid of carbs and you introduce healthy fats. So I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And I realized, yes, that's what I can do. Um, So that, you know, all of that happened... Um, almost five years ago, uh, and I went uh, on from very traditional kind of way of eating, just ab- whatever, whatever just everyone a does, balanced diet, yeah. uh, to having fat with fat and with more fat. Uh, but it was all very thought through and researched. So I ended up having basically a high fat Mediterranean diet every day. So for me, it was loads of veggies, a little bit of of fish, a little bit of dairy, and everything was covered in olive oil. Um, and what happened as a result? Two months into my treatment, um, I had amazing results. Uh, so a com- to me, the combination of this high fat diet with the traditional way of treating cancer resulted in my tumors almost disappearing, like melting away, uh, which was something that no one expected. I still went through with the rest of the treatment that took almost a year with the surgeries and everything, but I continued eating that way. So for me now, this is the way... You're going to stay healthy. To stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And... My family changed uh, the habits we eat. My friends, because I literally bombard them with olive oil whenever they come <laughs> to our house or if we go to a dinner party or if we meet. My my gift of choice is always olive oil. <laughs> you giving the gift of life. But, I am. But absolutely. I think what, what I kind of really take from that is, is, is two things, really. One about the agency that you you were kind of claiming at that point in a situation that you felt really powerless and you know going from frantic googling to thinking actually I do have more power than I realize and this is what I can control and but also mindset that that fighting spirit and I think that can be I think that can be life or death I really do I think to to not be a victim in these situations can make I mean we're never going to know we're never going to be able to measure it but it must have been hugely helpful to you and everyone around you for you to be in that headspace? It definitely was. um, Because one thing that also happened, once I knew that I have control, I can do something myself, I don't need to rely on my medical team 
on the treatments available in the hospital. I knew that at home I can take care of myself like every minute or every second. And that was a massive shift. But also what I realized um, from the more um, biological perspective, uh, your brain works differently when you when you consume a lot of healthy fats and this is where your energy comes from and you reduce the amount of sugar of of carbs uh, especially the the simple carbs so i re- i found myself you know in the middle of very intense cancer treatment uh not only feeling well feeling calm but also my brain worked on a level i've never found it working on i was like so switched on oh all the time goodness, i need this the brain fog is real magdalena it's it's real it is real and i experience it every time when i go on holiday for example for totally i forget about you know my healthy eating mm-hmm. habits and i eat everything and anything and then come like 4 p.m i need a nap <laughs> you don't need a nap you need a nice shot of olive oil you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're celebrating beautiful ingredients and some of the benefits of olive oil in particular. Now, Madalena is the co-founder, sorry, the founder and CEO of Aroma de Olio. It's just launched last month, so thank you for making the time. She's also a student at the Olive Oil School of Spain, an aspiring and soon to be fully certified master olive oil consultant and sommelier. I want to talk taste because where are you sourcing your olive oils from? And can do you think you could do a blind taste and tell me which countries they were from, Madeleine? Um, that's actually a very interesting question. Um, and I will tell you, no, because it does not matter where the olive oil comes from. Tell us more. Uh what really matters is what happens to the orchard, to the olive tree, to the olive fruit, how it's treated, how it's picked, how it's processed. This is where the, the, the quality comes from. And it's very difficult to distinguish between Greece or Italy or Spain or New Zealand, for example, because Australia and New Zealand are really big um, uh, olive oil producers now as well. So no, there is different ways to determine the quality and what get what what you get inside a bottle. So the the first thing I would do is, and this is where the name of my company comes from, Aroma the Olio. The first thing to determine if you are having a genuine olive oil in your hand is if you open a bottle, you inhale. If you smell a beautiful fruity aroma. A big point. Yes, that's something that is genuine. That has not been um, that not, not been processed in a way that it shouldn't. That the olive trees have been treated in the way they should have been, uh, and and the whole process, the whole value chain from the very beginning of the of the olive trees to the bottle and to the point when you are tasting hasn't been broken in any way. Um, so the aroma is key. You need to. T- Smell. If you don't smell anything, or if you smell something like, a bit chemically, off, mm. yeah, it can be chemicals, or it can be oxidized. It can, okay. it can be that it's been on the shelf in a supermarket for way too long, and it's been exposed to light. Even electrical light doesn't 
uh, well, helps to, you know, makes the olive oil bad. So the smell is key. That's the most important thing. Having a look at the website is interesting because the bottles are beautiful, but some of them are coloured, as you say, dark. So to reduce that photosensitivity and any kind of reactions that you might see in the bottle. I'm going to have to, we're running out of time, but I want to know, lastly, how do we best enjoy an olive oil to, to really respect the good stuff? Okay, okay. Um, so uh, to do that, I would say uh, invest in something that you are sure is an authentic product, mm-hmm. okay? Because otherwise you are spending a little money on empty calories that don't do you any good at all or actually may harm you. Once you invest that cash, then actually the intensity of the product is so much more than your something that you may have had in the past that you end up using much less. Mm-hmm. It's a few drops here, a few drops there. And the same bottle would last you for, let's say, three months and not a month in case of something that's really blunt and, 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 and boring. A message here saying 99% of olive oil in supermarkets are fake. Exaggeration or fact, do you think? Uh, absolute fact. Um, and I know this because I have read some really shocking books on the subject and... Um, there is so much crime, food crime that happens in this industry. It's something that consumers don't know. I wasn't aware of that until I started researching and studying. So are they mixed then with other olive oils? Yes. Are mislabeled? Yes. Story? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a very classic example. Uh, Italy is the biggest producer of olive oil, um, the most famous one. If you think Italian olive oil, this is quality. What often happens... <laughs> you get olive oil transported in containers from, let's say, North Africa, okay? It's sitting on the ship for, for a few weeks. It's sitting somewhere in the yard for, for a few days in the heat, right? Uh, when it then gets to the big olive oil producers, um, they open a tank. If it doesn't smell horribly, they will accept it. If it's if it's too bad, they will send it away and it goes to a cheaper producer, for example. What then happens, there's the whole production chain to make the olive oil look and smell smell as extra virgin olive oil. So they add chemicals, they add um, aromas, then they mix it with other blends, with other olive oils. It's such a, um, it's such a process that in the end you do get a bottle in the supermarket that says uh, olive oil uh, from Tuscany because <laughs> no, it was it, bottled there. It's, it's visited there. It's Yeah. It, it's sat there for a little while. God, it's really, really eye-opening. And lastly, what's your best way to enjoy it? Is it dressing? Give us some ideas. Okay. Uh, I enjoy olive oil all the time on everything. Um, <laughs> so obviously I did start with the, with the basics. A few drops on my pizza, for example. Uh, always with pasta, always. Uh, and there is ways to, to then pair it. But that's a totally different subject uh, because it's a huge, huge um, um, uh, topic to talk about. Uh, but then what you can do is to try experimenting. And I love doing that. So I add olive oil to my vanilla ice cream, for example. Ooh. I add olive oil to... Um, chocolate dessert like especially if you have like chocolate with spicy um like a choc and chili mousse or something yes, like that yes and you oh. and you add a few drops of spicy olive oil with that 
it just takes the whole experience to a totally, totally new level. Okay, I've considered me inspired. I've got message here saying, put olive oil in the freezer for a few minutes. Genuine olive oil will become milky, fake will not. True or false? What do you... Oh, maybe. Should we give it a try over the weekend? We can, yeah, we can give it a try. I've never done it because olive oil, a good olive oil loses all its health properties if you put it in the freezer. But just give it just a little taste, just yeah, a, a little sample just to see what happens. Um, I have a message going, um, love this, where to buy or find out more. Um, what's the best way of getting in touch with you and indeed shopping the site? Congratulations on the launch. Um, the best the best place would be to visit our website. Uh, it's called aromadiolio.com. Uh, we are obviously on Instagram and all the other socials. Uh, you, will find, you will find us under Aroma Di Olio. That's our handle. Madeline, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your story and sharing your passion. I think you need to start hosting holidays around the world, taking us on Olive Oil Tasting Tours. Can I please book a ticket? Uh, that's definitely on the cards. It oh. will be happening. This is... Uh, this is called Oleo Tourism. It's something that is up Olive and coming. Oleo Tourism. All right, watch this space. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. What's not to love about love? Well, throw some cake in the mix and you have got a dream combination. We all know marriages has its ups and downs, but what about when it's getting hot in the kitchen? The husband and wife team joining us now. They're the founders of Varak, a homegrown band. Started right here in the UAE during the lockdown. Preet and Diva with us in the studio. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. I love I love hearing about love, so I want to hear your love story, but I also want to know about the food story as well. Preet, you've got a background in hospitality. You studied in Switzerland. You've worked in food tech and startups. What brought you to meet your beautiful, talented wife? Hey, thanks, Helen, for having us, firstly. And uh, I mean, it was actually the the food tech that actually led me to her. So I'll I'll give you the love story and then Diva can give you the food. So... (laughs) I actually was in India, in Hyderabad, leading a, a company which used to sell software to restaurants. And somebody gifted me some cupcakes and I loved them. So I asked them, where is it from? And they directed me to this cake shop. So I did my research online and I saw this girl who's running it. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to send a team member. I'll go myself. So I went for a meeting. It was a proper sales meeting with the owner, which was Diva, of course. And... Uh, and then she never bought what I was selling. <laughs> but uh, but then, yeah, I mean, it's so we, and I think we kind of, we, we fell in love. So but big picture, you, you sealed the deal. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you fell in love with her talent and her passion for food before you'd even met. You obviously a very talented baker diva. Tell us a little Thank bit you. about the bakery that you were running back Thank home you, in India. Helen. So I've just been, um, you know, watching my mom bake cakes as I've grown up as a child. And it's um, it's been really close to my heart, food and cakes and sweets and desserts. And I'm, I mean, I finished my uh, college university and I started baking at home. I happened to give a few cupcakes and the things I baked to my friends and um, they loved it. And that's I think that's where I started baking from home with the, the guidance of my mom. I have no culinary um, certification, but I'm, 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 I've, it's taken me years to own up to that. And I'm really proud of mm-hmm. what we're doing today. And uh, a flashback to what Preet just said. So six years before I met him is when I actually started baking from home. And after a couple of years of um, baking from home, after two or three years is when I've opened up my own space, bought, bought, you know, very close to my heart, bought my first refrigerator, my first oven, hired people, you know, grew step by step. And um, I think after three, four years with experience, a lot of trial, error, Mm -hmm. I have, 
you know, a cute, cute little Parisian patisserie in uh, the south of India. That's where I started. And that's that's when I met Preet. And now you're, we're lucky enough to have you both here in the UAE. And can you tell us a little bit about that kind of 2019 period where you took the plunge to open doors here? Yeah, so we started off, uh, we got married in 2019. And then the first year of our marriage was, of course, a lot of... So after three years of dating, one year of marriage in Dubai, in 2020, whilst I was all having a job, uh, we decided that let's start something together, uh, which would be both our baby because the one that was back home was primarily by diva and you know when you build something from scratch but so we said let's start something together because i had been in the region already for four years so i had a pretty good network so diva started we said let's bake cakes we informed our friends and family i told all my friends listen my wife is baking a cake so if you have a birthday in your house let me know and then we started doing it from home in covid whilst i had a job so i would go for a meeting deliver a cake procure stuff from like say dragon mart then come back home and Diva would bake. And then uh, we had like a, we, yeah, so it was super organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, the the friends and family involved were like very, very supportive. And the, the best part about this was that we were not doing it to make money, right? Because there was a job already. So the idea was to just kind of test the waters. And because I'd worked with so many restaurants uh, in Dubai, so it was just to go all out directly. I think it was it was better for us to kind of see and how the market responds. You now do have your own space, as we said, Varak. Tell us about the name, Diva. What does it mean? So Varak in um, Sanskrit, Hindi, Punjabi, or very Indian origin, it means the silver or gold foil, which, ah. you know, it, it, it could be 24 karat gold or it could be the silver foil, which is very traditional and um a lot of our sweets in India have that. And each time my mom baked something or cooked something or very special, very premium, it was a must to have that silver foil. It elevated that dish to a whole new level, uh, which is why when, when we we were, you know, brainstorming of what we should start. And I'd, we'd all, I'd already done like a cute patisserie, like I mentioned. So we thought we'll try something on the on the luxury side, a very premium and a regal brand. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the word Varak is, it means premium. So that's why Varak. And our product line is on those lines. It's all yeah, about it's, ed- edible luxury. It's all about the edible luxury. Yep. Can we talk flavors? What are some of the flavors you love working with? And do you feel like there's a combination or a cake that is just like your foodie philosophy and when people eat it they're like okay I know what you're all about so I think you know a lot of people ask what your secret ingredient is and funnily it's salt Um, I just feel that anything too sweet you you can't taste the flavors when Mm. I'm saying when I want a strawberry cake I add sugar and I I ruin it I want to taste the strawberry I want to taste the chocolate almond right and that's when so we try and reduce our sugar levels in all our products apart from cakes we also do a lot of savories we do a lot of gifting dry items that that have a longer shelf life so we have things like tikka masala cashews we have um, we have barbecue almonds stuff like that in terms of our cakes uh, we've got flavors like um, the berry cream cheese we've got a pineapple cream most of our recipes are um are nostalgic to us as you know things with what we've grown up eating we've just got an ode to tradition got it back i'm afraid to ask this but do you have a favorite the 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 irony is that we don't (laughs) eat a lot of what we make but if i have to be like honest there is something that we call brittles right so and people have like told us that they've got addicted to them 
because they're like these little pieces of chocolate and that. So there's hazelnut ma- maple oat, there's honey almond cereal. These are gluten free. So we do a lot of conscious baking. We've got a lot of stuff in the menu which are refined sugar free, gluten free. Uh, we've got a flourless chocolate loaf. We've got a orange olive oil travel loaf. Uh, and these are like with oh, almond flour, so it's a lot of conscious baking where uh, when you eat our cakes, you would not feel full because we don't use a lot of buttercream. I will take that challenge. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're having a very sweet end to your week today. Joining us from Varak, a homegrown brand bakery right here in Dubai that started during lockdown. We've got husband and wife team, Preet and Diva. And we've had a message here, Diva, asking about the location of the bakery. Can you tell us where you are and, and why you chose that spot? So our boutique is located in Business Bay, one by Omniat. Um, when we were looking at places to open our kitchen, uh, like we mentioned, we don't bake a lot of ready-to-serve cakes or everything, some, to order. everything is to order. Everything is on a prior basis. We have come to a notion where you can order the very same day, but at least four hours in advance notice. Um, so we chose Business Bay because it's quite central mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, lo- locality in Dubai. So we do deliveries, we have pickups and Business Bay just suited the most, like some more central. So mm-hmm. I think it would worked out well for us. I want to know about starting during the pandemic. <laughs> Tell us, I love a good positive out of the pandemic story, but that's a pretty rude awakening for anyone starting any kind of business, food especially. What was your experience? So because we did not have an overhead, and that's one of the things that really impacts a lot of F&B businesses, because, I mean, by the end of the day, by the time you set up your business here in Dubai, uh, from your trade license, to your licenses, to your permissions, to your visas, you've already invested a lot of money. So for us, though we started in the pandemic, because we were doing it from home, we did not make a lot of investment. So the pressure wasn't that high. And apart from that, I somehow felt that the pandemic helped us because... A lot of people were home and a lot of people wanted to eat cakes and comfort comfort and that that really kind of helped us and people were having intimate affairs in terms of uh, small parties and and stuff like that so that was how it went in the pandemic Uh, but then as and i felt that we were really really lucky to be in dubai in the pandemic as compared to anywhere in the whole world because from the way the things were regulated I remember applying for permits to get out for those four hours to procure stuff. <laughs> it's isn't that having those letters to go so you could go to the supermarket. It, exactly. And then, you know, and reaching my time limit and I had not done the procurement for work and stuff like that. So it was, but it was, it, somehow it's amazing when you look back. Mm-hmm. So Now you've been in F&B and hospitality for a while but, and I wondered if you had any advice for anyone that might be looking to get into the industry or perhaps where you see people going wrong. Uh the primary mistake rather or so I because I have been here and I meet a lot of people that who are interested to get into F&B and of, of course F&B looks amazing from the outside right you feel you love food and you can open up a restaurant but the primary difference is one that if your dependency is super high on a chef and you're not a chef yourself so I'm super lucky as to have a co-founder who's a chef and a wife and a wife <laughs> and a wife and a boss uh, so so that was uh, that's one. So if you don't, if your dependency is super hard on a chef and you're not one, that's one point. You're in a vulnerable position. Yeah, that, that you're in, you're a little vulnerable there. Number two, if you have no F and B background, uh, then I think it's better for you to start small. Mm-hmm. So maybe use like a co 
co-cooking space or work with a cloud kitchen, test the waters before going like all out and investing a huge sum. That would be the key advice. And lastly, Diva, can I ask any advice of anyone looking to work or start a business with their partner? Life partner, I mean. Absolutely. So uh, I think... It's great to have your responsibilities very well defined. So in our case, I think we, we haven't gotten ugly yet. And I, 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 I hope we don't. But it's been great. It's been an absolute, I mean, amazing journey for us until now. Um, I create the product and Preet sells it. That's all mm-hmm. I can I can put it down in one line. So we have our jurisdiction very well set. I'm and like you, Preet, and Preet, you yeah. trust each other? Absolutely. So Preet doesn't enter the kitchen and I don't enter with his decisions of what he has to. Stay away from of course, Excel of spreadsheets. Of course, but there's complete transparency. I think that's uh, utmost important. Um, I know what he's doing and he knows of what I'm doing. I know when I have to point out and he knows when I, he has to point out on our decisions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's great. Transparency is is a is. Yeah. Oh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your love story, sharing your enthusiasm. Um, and for anyone that wants to check out the range, by all means, tell us the website if you'd like. Yeah. So the website is uh, varakdubai.com. And you can also follow us on, on Instagram, which is Varak, the Edible Luxury. The photos are amazing. Guys, wishing you all the very best. Thank Long you. may it continue. More branches, so I hope. And uh, keep it up. Really lovely to meet both of you. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're talking food this afternoon with the chefs, the tastemakers, the creators. And joining us now live in the studio is Zara Abdullah. She's half Iranian, half Sudanese. She's an author. She's a presenter. And she's making food for us to enjoy at home. The Zara's Kitchen range is now in Spinney's. It is a frozen food range that I have thrown in the air fryer, Zara, to legendary effect it saved our skin on a on a couple of occasions how are you this mm, afternoon good thanks helen thanks for having me over before i learn more a little bit more about what's on the shelves what would you spend 500 dirhams on what would the chef choose in spinnies for 500 dirhams so i have to say i love the fresh produce that spinnies offers and i always go in and stock up on their cherries mm. their strawberries their blueberries just collect as many nice fruits and i have my fridge organized so oh, everything I is compartmentalized so you know what makes me smile is opening that fridge and seeing it stocked up in my little compartment boxes with all the best berries. You're going to have to please take a photo when you go home tonight. I want to see a photo of your fridge. My fridge is an absolute disaster area. I live to be that organized. You know how some people have like all everything labeled and rice dispenser and all of it's that. It's really cute. The, the, the joy that also the family gets when they open because they know what's in there. And so, you know, it's makes sure it just makes sure that everyone's eating healthy. So it's always nice. Zara's going wild in the berry patch with that 500 dirhams. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, about starting the range to begin with. You know, Zara's Kitchen, you've been creating the most beautiful recipes for so long. What was it like translating them for the initial range for the chiller section? So the, the, the development of my new product range has been very exciting for me because the original six products that we had are very traditional recipes mm-hmm. with a bit of a twist in the in the sense of the spices. It's a fusion of you know Arabic and Persian flavors. But the next set of six, um, they were ideas that I created in my mind, and I needed to see how I could visualize it. Um, one of my favorites is the pumpkin kibbe. Uh, sorry, the beetroot kibbe. I always Ooh, confuse that. Yum. And 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 the thing is, kibbe is a very common Middle Eastern um, snack. And I wanted it with uh, with beetroot just because I adore beetroot. And 
I, I know I visualized how it was, but we had to go through quite a few trials and tests before we came to the final um, final recipe. Where all the family like, no more beetroot, <laughs> mum. <laughs> You've eaten all the beetroot in Dubai. And you know that moment when you realise that's it, it's just the most exciting moment ever. So what's in it? Oh, it's so good. It's uh, a beetroot kibbe and it's got feta cheese, roasted beetroot, crispy fried onions. Mm. So you have a nice sweetness from it and um, fennel seed powder. And that fennel seed powder just brings everything. It's very elegant, very beautiful. Just it's really, really divine. So in the initial range, you had the chicken. How am I going to say it wrong? Yeah, yeah, I'm not trying the accent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had some kiwi as well. And in the new range, it's more plant-based. There's three plant-based, I believe, two veggie and one non-veg. So what what are you bringing to the shelves? It it was very important for me to be inclusive for my my audience. And I have a lot of friends who either are vegetarian and plant-based or wanted to eat more bit more flexy yeah and so i wanted to be able to create solutions for them um, my pumpkin kibbe is a very traditional um, lebanese recipe uh, that i learned from a wonderful farmer in the shuf area of lebanon and then the beetroot and the, so the pumpkin is purely plant-based the beetroot is just a fusion of flavors vegetarian we've got beetroot um Falafel, oh yummy, and be, and then the traditional falafel recipe, and then my favorites are the chicken puff, and the and the spinach and feta puff. So the chicken puff is a play on a traditional shawarma. So it's got tahini paste in it. It's got a wonderful um, Arabic spices. It's very nice and, and, and delicately flavored, but really enjoyable. And then the spinach and feta is what I call a play on a Greek spanakopita mm-hmm. and a Arabic um, fatayer, spinach fatayer. So it's a mixture like of flavors. you've had a lot of fun doing yeah, this. Fun. What's, fun. what's the process like? Because you have recipe books, of course, and you've yeah. got you know, family around you that you, you know, have learned from in the past. Is there sometimes a moment and you'll go, ooh, that would work for Zara's kitchen? So we, we've we've had to adapt when we when we're selling the frozen food range, we've had to adapt. So the spinach puff and, and the feta puff were initially going to be phyllo pastries. But the problem is, is making sure that the experience for the end user is going to always be consistent. Well, that's a good point because you are a cook and I am useless, but have an air fryer. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's about not just what you're able to create, but making sure that someone picking it up off you know, exactly. of the freezer is, is going to have the experience you want them to. You, you want the experience to be and you want the end product to always have a consistent feel because in the end of the day, when a customer is used to a certain look, a certain taste, a certain flavor, mm-hmm. there needs to be consistent. So we've had to adapt and adjust how we do things just so that we can create a final product. Um, And so that's why we ended up going with a puff pastry because it's very easy to use. It's oven friendly, air fryer friendly, and it's just really good. The kids love it. So how do you tend to recommend cooking? Is it oven? Am I getting away with it in the air fryer? Am I not having the full Zara experience? You know, I, I have come over the years to learn that I need to be accepting of all cooking. <laughs> I'm feeling judgment towards my technique now. <laughs> I love frying. I love frying. I'm a hardcore fryer. I'll, I still fry my French fries. I fry everything. But I also respect that a lot of people care to be more health conscious and yeah. health considerate. So we had to adapt our recipes to make sure that 
they are air fryer friendly. And I say air fryer friendly because I found that when we bake some of our products, first of all, they take too long to be baked, but also they dehydrate the final oh, product. So the flavor, so a falafel in the air fryer will still have that crisp and moisture, but if it's baked, it's it's a cardboard. And in, so yeah, it's trying to trying to find some happy mediums. <laughs> and in terms of, for me, I've used them for entertaining as well. Yes. And is that what you've had had in mind? You know, I'm sure some of these would lend themselves to packed lunches really well. Oh, we we use it for everything. Like my kids have it for packed lunches, um, for those days when we don't have leftovers. Because I usually pack leftovers for the kids, and that's their lunch for the next day. But when I don't have leftovers, I just go to my freezer and grab uh, frozen fruit from my range. I bet. <laughs> And but I bet your kids are the envy of the other kids at school. And there's my kids with like their baby bell and a kind of half a jam sandwich. And then there's yours yeah. being like, oh, behold, my mother is a celebrated cookbook author. When you say leftovers, what kind of things tend to lend themselves to oh, the next day? Oh, everything. Like when we will make a pasta sauce, we'll just make, we'll keep extra pasta sauce and then use, just prepare pasta in the morning and mix it together. And there's leftovers. We'll make, um, you know, fajitas or, or uh, what am I, I'm just thinking what we had this week, burgers. Uh, and I, you know, I have this new, I hate, I hate planning my dinners. I hate it mm -hmm. with a passion Why as much I as I like, love yeah. cooking. Where's this going? So I've come up with this really cool, I know it's not Zahra's kitchen, but I'm going to tell you what yeah, I've done. Yeah, I want to hear. So Mondays is pasta days. So every Monday is a rotation of different pasta. So it can be lasagna, it can be gnocchi, it can be... Uh, spaghetti, whatever. Mm -hmm. Tuesdays is Taco Tuesday. So it's, like, it's, it's a play on different types of Mexican food. So we've got tacos, fajitas, enchiladas, whatever, burritas, whatever you want, but it rotates. So every week is something different. Um, Wednesdays is my Asian fusion. So stir fries. <gasps> Can I come and live at your house? <laughs> okay, Thursday? Thursdays is chicken. Because my husband flies, in. He, he lives abroad, and so he flies in and he loves coming in oh, nice. to open the fridge and find some leftover chicken. So it's always some kind of chicken recipe, mm -hmm. some chicken roast. And then Fridays is pizza night, we order in. Easy. <laughs> oh, are you allowed to say who you like ordering pizza from? Am I allowed to yeah, say? Yeah, come on. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with Pitfire. Pitfire. Oh my God. All, all the foodies I know oh recognize just how amazing Pitfire pizza is. Garlic knots. Oh my God. Of course. And have you tried the Sputnik? Oh, this is the potato pizza. It's insane. I had a slice of it at Time Out Market. I haven't had the whole thing. I mean, carb on carb, what is not to like, really? It's heaven. It's oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And then over the weekend? Over the weekend is like the traditional Persian and Arabic oh, food wow. that needs like a lot of love and cooking. Yeah. For anyone that wants to check out the range, they are in store now. Yes, yes. Yes. Do you have a favorite? Is it the beetroot kippah? It is. It is? It okay, is. right. It is. I'm going to swing by on my way home. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time. I know how busy you are. For anyone that wants to find out more, follow your recipes, just follow your foodie adventures as well. What's the best way of keeping in touch there? And don't forget, go to Spinnies and Waitrose and find them. They're find really them. good. They are really good. <laughs> Zara's Kitchen is what you should be looking for. Zara Abdullah, thank you so thank much for you. your time. Thanks, You're an Helen. absolute superstar awesome. and you've made me very hungry indeed. And I have to say... Got some good ideas on the food front. Oh, so yeah. I, I will take them. <laughs> Pitfire and some themed nights. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the people behind your food, whether it's a chef, a restaurateur, a, a creator, a tastemaker. And joining us in the studio now is one woman who's gone from the United Nations and the International Criminal Court at The Hague 
to starting her own business, Shifra Goel joining us. She worked in the legal field of human rights and has now set up Sage. It's a whole food focused, plant based, gluten free meat plan, and they've got food delivery with a bit of Ayurveda influence as well. Shifra, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Helen. It's so great to be here. Thank I, you for having me. I need me. to know more about this life journey, this career pivot, to borrow a very pandemic phrase. You've lived all over the world from Germany to Ecuador, back to Dubai now as well. Can you tell us about what it was like working for the UN and ultimately why you've decided to kind of change direction a little bit? A little bit. A whole lot. <laughs> So I'm going to just speak very honestly. It's, it takes a lot to get to a job there. Um, really long hours, a lot of uh, many internships, um, which are unpaid. Um, I, I think that this is public information. <laughs> so it does take a lot to, to get there. And once you get a job, if you're lucky enough to get a job, um, a lot of the times depends where you are. The jobs are very high pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're away from your family. You don't know exactly where you're going to be. What is your duty station? Um, the rules are very strict, which you have to follow, uh, especially if you're working in a court. Um, the court that I, I worked at, it's um, it's an international cr- criminal court. So um, I was in a black robe every day. I called the hearing in the court at 9.30 in the morning. It was a really um, um, high-pressure job, very stressful. I'm sure um, you were hearing how, how the most horrendous yes. stories day yeah. after day. I think this is part of the reason. Um, after doing this for um, over three years, um I just couldn't function normally anymore because um, even though part of, um, well, part of your work is actually going to therapy, but after a while, after, because you were subconsciously um, receiving so much information that you're storing in your system. Totally absorbing everything. Yeah. So um, after a while, I just realized I had another contract in in Greece uh, where I was going to work for the largest refugee camp in Europe. But um, 10 days into it, I resigned and I was like, I don't think I can do this right now. I want to be with my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom is here. So I wanted to be with my mom. I was like, I I don't know what I will do with my life, but um, this is what I need right now. And I'll figure it out. I think we often have our best ideas. Sometimes it's under stress, but sometimes it's when we're feeling really safe and our body and mind can relax. And I, I know that feeling about I just want I just want my mom. I just want to be held by her and feel safe and be able to relax. And and often it's by having that sense of security that your imagination can start to to fire again. And it sounds like that's what's happened with you going in a completely different direction. When it comes to food, this is something you've been studying as a result of your interest in it. Why decide to go down the very healthy, whole, plant-based, gluten-free? Why is that such an important priority to you, Shapra? So um, about 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune. Um, And I I see that more and more now. I see a lot of women, especially uh, with with different autoimmune conditions. And um, luckily, there there is more, there's more information out there on how to treat them. But back then, 10 years ago, there was very little apart from some very harsh medications okay. that I was prescribed. Um, and I decided, I decided that I will start doing my own research. And um, 
I started researching those medications, and I was just like, I'm not going to take this. This cannot be me. I'm 24 years old. Um, so I realized that it is possible to treat it with, um, with plants. Of course, there is no guarantee that you will be uh, you will be fully treated, but this is something I wanted to try. Yeah, it's always worth giving something a shot. I mean, when my dad was the second time he had cancer, um, he decided that he would be treating a lot of it with food. And he was he at one point he did say to my mum, he's like, I'm going to eat to beat cancer. I'm not going to have chemo. And she's like, how about you do both? <laughs> how about you have your turmeric and your garlic and your cauliflower? But we also, you know, follow some doctor's instructions. But for t- to his mind, it was like if this is available to him. And yeah, very interesting because I actually know a lady who has an Ayurveda retreat in Sri Lanka. She was diagnosed with uh, with cancer as well. And she went through Ayurvedic uh, medicine. Instead of doing chemo, I think I think that I think it's just it's just it takes a certain person to be open minded to that, and it just really surprised me that at that point it was my like seventy year old dad who's you know never sick, and he was the one that was you know so passionate about doing everything in, in his power to get better. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Chipper Goel joins in the studio now. She is the founder of Sage and has gone from high-pressured UN International Criminal Court at The Hague to coming back to her roots to the family and starting a potentially life-changing business, both for herself and other people, around whole food, plant-based, gluten-free, influenced by Ayurveda. And I was going to say, you know, a more relaxing life, but I think any entrepreneur who started their own business would say, that's not necessarily the case, Helen, because... Starting a business, it can be incredibly challenging. Tell us about the decision to turn this passion and your study for food that heals into something you could offer other people. What's it been like? So when I started working on this business idea, I wasn't sure where I was going to go with it. It was just the the only other thing I knew how to do well was food. And I felt that I had enough um, knowledge to be able to share it with others. And I thought it would benefit so many people. And I could really see a gap in the market because I felt this gap personally as somebody, I'm a huge foodie and I don't want to just eat healthy, but I want to make sure that the food that I'm eating is satisfying Mm. and it's also delicious. And I felt that there was a huge gap in the market for for this type of food, which is plant-based and gluten-free. But at the same time, the recipes are really thought out, well thought out, and um, they, they are actually delicious. So people want to eat them. Because when I've done some meal plans in the past, and especially when I was looking to lose weight, they go, okay, well, here's your calories for the day, and this is what you're going to be eating. And I was like, this isn't actually nourishing food. All you're doing is making sure my calorie count is under a certain amount, and I'm not enjoying this. I don't look forward to eating it. So what's the point? You know, food, food yes, we know is fuel, but it, it can be so much more than that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, when when I first launched Sage, I was quite against the idea of putting the calories on the boxes. Uh, now we do. Now we have the calories and we have the macros because I realized um, we had a lot of um, athletes or um, yoga teachers on the on the meal plan. So for them, it was it was essential to have this information mm-hmm. just to make it easier for them. And this is what a meal plan is. It is supposed to make your life easier. <laughs> um, 
It is. It is. So tell us then, um, we had a question here saying, is it per day, per week? How Can you kind of talk us through the format? Yes, of course. Um, so our meal plan is, unlike a lot of others, very flexible. If somebody just wants to have um, two meals a day on a Sunday, we can offer that. Um, because I feel that if you... Um, if you only have a monthly only subscription option, it can be quite limited for for a certain lifestyle. Totally, you um, feel guilty for going out for dinner when and spending time with your friends because you know you've got food in the fridge back home. You're thinking about admin around pausing something so you can go away for the weekend. It, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. So um, we wanted to make sure that it's it's super flexible. It can fit into any lifestyle. If people are traveling two days of the week, um, they can pause whenever they want. Just as long as we receive a 48-hour notice, they can pause. And they can just get back onto the plan whenever they return. We have um, the menu changes every day. Wow. That's a lot of work um, for you. It's a lot of work. but um, So it's five days a week. Monday to Friday, and the menu changes every day of the week. And we have a soup option, which changes weekly. Okay, I want you to make me hungry. And I say this <laughs> as a pretty dedicated carnivore. Tell me what's on the menu that would, would make us think, actually, this could be the answer to a lot of problems. Well, firstly, I've brought you some samples. So oh, whenever thanks. you do get the chance, <laughs> please well, well, try I'm them. going out for curry tonight. But <laughs> I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure I'll find some space. So yeah, what's, what, what have you brought in? And what, what, in terms of feedback from customers, what do people really like? Which dishes? So one of the things that I've also brought in with me, um, there are vegan Snickers. They're raw vegan. Um, we have been working on this recipe for a year. I kid oh, wow. you not. I mean, when we started, it was amazing when we started. But now it's just like when people try it, they're just like, wow. And then when they look at the ingredients, because we list the ingredients on the packaging, they were just like, I can't believe it. This tastes better than the actual Snickers bar. Ooh, challenge and extended. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> might do a little live it. tasting for you. <laughs> so you've got a sweet tooth as well then, clearly. Yes, I do. But um, sugar, sugar is not always necessarily bad for you. It just depends where it's coming from and mm -hmm. how much you're consuming. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to yourself when you first had the idea for Sage? What, what, what do you wish you knew before embarking upon this, Shipra? Um, I wished I was less emotional about my brand and more practical. Mm -hmm. I think this is something I have learned over time. But because this was so close to me, this project comes from my personal struggles and also my my dad passed away from from heart disease and I'm diabetes. Sorry. So I saw a lot of a lot of pain and um, in my family and I knew that you can do a lot with plants. So I wanted to give this message out to other people. But at the same time, I realized that it was so personal to me and um, I was I was too emotional about it. Well, it, thank yeah. you for sharing that. I think that's really valuable. I also think, in honesty, to my mind, some of the best businesses solve problems for people. And a lot of people do want to be more flexy, more plant-based, but don't really know how. And if someone's there to help them with all the, the putting together and the macros and the ideas and the inspiration and actually delivering it, I think that's going to be helping an awful lot of people. A message here saying, how best to order? Is there a website slash Instagram? Yeah. Over to you, Shipra. 
Um, so um, the best way to order is through our website. If you go onto our website, um, you can either fill out a form or you can directly, if you want to speak to somebody, you can just press the WhatsApp um, icon and it will lead you to somebody that will assist you with all of your questions. Well, what a time to be alive. Thank you so much. And again, congratulations. Truly life-changing. It's wonderful to hear your, your passion and your reasons for starting, Sage. Thank you so, so much, Ship, for joining us, the founder. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well talking supper clubs now and one in particular Moose is in the studio he runs one and I apologise in advance for the pronunciation Taste of Owambe 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 yeah Owambe think of it as like three syllables Owambe Owambe what does it mean? Uh, so it basically means uh, party it describes party in uh, Yoruba <laughs> so party, party culture is a big part of Nigerian culture uh, especially with weddings so usually at the weddings you call it an Owambe party. Owambe, the literal meaning is it is there. So there's everything is there from food to drinks, dancing. party, mute, lots of dancing. What are people wearing? Uh, traditional clothes. So like buba, shokuto, you know, yeah. You so. know, I don't know. That's why you're here to to, to educate me. So you're Nigerian. Yes, and I am. Tell us a little bit about Nigerian food because I've never had it. And now I feel like I'm going to miss out. What's on the menu at All your right. supper clubs? Uh, so Nigerian food is, I, I think I'm biased, but it's the best food. It's very spicy. <laughs> oh, really? Very spicy, very meat heavy, non-vegan friendly. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to, to our previous guest. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's, so it's really spicy. And uh, I think one of the most popular ones that we have is jollof rice. So, and jollof rice is, there's actually something called the jollof wars. So, among the countries in West Africa, everyone has a claim to who has the best jollof rice. Oh, wow. But, but it's know, obviously Nigeria. Obviously, it's Nigeria. <laughs> uh, what's, what's in it? How do you so, make it? Uh, jollof rice is basically a rice cooked in tomato paste, uh, tomato sauce. Okay. So, tomatoes, pepper, you can make it as chili, as, you, as spicy as you want. And how spicy do you go? Um, so not too spicy, but <laughs> just spicy enough to still keep that Nigerianness about it. So basically, taste of a wambe, the menu, it's, it's a three-course menu. Uh, first of all, we start with pepper soup and chicken wings. Ooh. And pepper soup is spicy because it literally has pepper soup. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a lamb pepper soup. It's meat broth. And we cook in some African spices and I put chili in it. But it's not too spicy because the first time I did it and I served it to a friend who uh-huh. was French, uh-huh. she did literally she turned red. <laughs> uh, so now I just put like eight chilies in it. Nothing. Just, just the eight. <laughs> okay, let's talk meat. All right. And then for the main, we have jollof rice, which is obviously the staple. And lamb chops. It's literally the best lamb chops in Dubai. I don't think I've tasted anything better personally. How do you cook them? I would have to kill you if okay, I told you. Okay, fine. Can but, we, we'll talk about No, no, that. but no, basically I marinate it in a bunch of different things overnight and I just grill it. And then we have a plantain, which is some type of banana. Yeah, it's more kind of more starchy. I yeah, think. exactly. You fried plantain. Yeah. So jollof rice, plantain, coleslaw and lamb chops and all of that. You know, oh on your plate God, at that once. That sounds amazing. <laughs> what about dessert, Musa? Uh, we have peach cobbler. So that's oh, not really Nigerian. I'll take it. But it's peach cobbler with vanilla ice cream and it tastes really good. So you're running your taste of Oyam Owambe. No, no. no. O- <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Owambe. Owambe. Exactly. Okay, phew. Every Friday, 
Yeah, most well, of, most Fridays. Most Fridays. So I have to say thank you for coming in this afternoon because I yeah. know you're you're kind of cooking in the kitchen. Who's coming and what's the reaction been like? Uh, so it's a mix of different people, actually. So in the beginning, when I started, it was mostly friends, uh, friends, friends of friends, people from the gym. And because my um, supper club is, you can book it actually on a on a platform called BreakBread.com. I've seen some other supper clubs I know on on there. So this yeah. is like, as you say, like a platform for booking. Yeah, exactly, a platform for like multiple. They have multiple uh, supper clubs on there or food experiences. So it's really a diverse crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it can be all girls or male. It, it's so many different people and. What I actually like about this is because for a lot of people, this is your first introduction to jollof rice or Nigerian food. I think a lot food. of people. I think I had it for the first time at Akibulan in the at Expo at the African Dining Hall, and it was, I don't know, maybe yours is better. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of there to feed, but also offer a bit of an education as well. Yeah. So usually it's it's an introduction to like so with Nigerian culture, a lot of people are familiar with the with the music, some people with the food. Mm-hmm. So. Actually, during the experience, we also do like a bit of a trivia on Nigerian pop culture. So, it's, how do people do? Yeah, not not too bad. I make it a competition among them, so you know. But at least they leave learning more about the food, the culture, um, what what being Nigerian is all about. Mm. Definitely need to have a high. And because I'm Yoruba, so that's uh, one of the tribes in Nigeria. There's this running joke that we. We could literally put chili in ice cream. We literally <laughs> eat spice with everything. So, uh, yeah. So you definitely live with a higher spice tolerance. But you know what? I think that's what we sometimes forget about food is that, yeah, we we eat it for energy and blah, blah, blah. But it is an opportunity to actually connect with people and to learn about cultures and things that you were eating growing up and how you've, you're putting a twist on stuff. And mm. that must be really rewarding for you to share that with people. Yeah, it is actually um, very, very, and I also get to share people, share the music with people, and surprisingly, it's actually like so. I I don't know if you've seen my Instagram, but yeah. from time to time, I post like the the process behind making the food, and it involves a lot of dancing. Good. I, uh, so <laughs> I'm actually really happy that you know I get to like introduce people for the first time. Saying it, it feels like a huge responsibility because mm-hmm. I know it it just sounds like jollof rice, but serious business. There are are wars over it. Um, A message here from um, Sally saying, how to book, which we've just touched on in terms of the breaking bread. Um, How many many weeks do you need to book in advance and how many people can you normally accommodate? So usually it's eight. It depends. uh, But at least for tonight, I'm sold out. So I just put up dates for November. I have two dates in November. And yeah, you can book. Just go on breakbread.com or go to Taste of or my Instagram page at Taste of Awambe. And it must attract like a certain type of person, like a bit of an adventurous diner. And that must be great in terms of energy in the room. Everyone's there for a reason, and that's food and discovery and fun. Yeah, and a lot of people, some, so it, you have different people. You have some people that come with your friends, and some people come alone. Mm-hmm. And then it's always interesting to see, because every supper club is different, seeing the dynamic between people. Some of them are really chatty and leave us great friends. You know, some people are silent and you just need to like, you know, try and like egg on the conversation. But it's it's usually you have I've had uh, the most really random and diverse set of people come to my supper clubs. And I love every one of them. Thank you for, you know, coming over. Um, People asking how to spell Owambe. So Owambe is O-W-A-M-B-E. 
I'm going to go and have a little Google of this. I want to yeah. see the wedding outfits. Do you get dressed up? What are you wearing? Uh, no, I don't oh, like you. <laughs> come on. It's not a party. Thank no. you so much, Musa. I Thank think, you so much for and I, Can me. I just say for the record, you, your voice is incredible. Thank you. Um, and you're really far away from the microphone. So in radio, like this is good. Oh, Normally yeah. I'm like, get closer to the microphone. And you're just like sitting back, chilling. You've got this amazing voice. You've made me so happy this afternoon to hear oh. about... Your part of the world and how you're bringing a slice of it to Dubai. Um, and if anyone does want the Instagram to see you dancing in the kitchen um, or indeed the website <laughs> for booking, just send me a message on 4001. I'd be very happy to connect you. You need to get back to the kitchen. Yes, I do. Thank actually. you so much, Musa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. All right, same oh, here. How do you say delicious in Nigerian? Like, what would you Ooh, say? That's a hard one. Come on, a little language lesson before you go. <laughs> Teach us something I quick. I actually don't know. All oh, right, your microphone's going. Oh, no, no, wait, no, 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 no. Odu, Odu, Odu. 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 So the food is actually very delicious. Good. Okay. I won't right. even try to pronounce that one. <laughs> Musa speaking to us from Taste of Oambe. Oambe. Oh, I'm bae. Oh, I'm bae. I'm, right. I, I'll promise I'll practice before I come to Supper Club. You're All a right. star. Thank you so much. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. What impact does the inclusion or a glowing review in a guide have on an eatery, on their footfall, on their self-esteem even? Managing Director of, and let's see if I get it right, Goey Mio. That's the one. Yes, Jennifer Crichton's in the studio. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. This guide has got some really historic roots, but perhaps isn't as well known as others. Can you t- tell us a little bit about well, what's been happening over the decades? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely better known and better established in Europe. Um, it's definitely a Central European kind of, it's well known there. And it was actually launched in France in 1972. Oh, wow. So this is going to be the 50th anniversary year of Goimio in France. Um, The big gala dinner is next month in Paris. But this edition that you're holding in your hands is the the very first for the Middle East. So it was launched in June this year. Well, congratulations on it. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of a book. Um, And what's the perception like amongst the chef community and the foodie community? How esteemed is it to their mind? I think certainly when you speak to the chefs from Europe, they're very well aware of Mm. Goimio. For a lot of the chefs from India and Asia, it's perhaps a newer um, a newer concept, but it's um, it's incredibly well known in Europe. And I think, to be honest with you, even the chefs who don't particularly know it are now very familiar with it now that it's launched and are delighted to have been included in it. I think for a long time, there's been an idea in the community of chefs that that the city was ready for a guide like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it's been welcomed with open arms, I would say. I think everyone's really delighted to have it here and to actually have sort of big critique brands coming in and recognising that Dubai is now becoming a, a leading culinary city. Because we've known that for a long time. You know, yeah. we, we know the quality of chefs here, whether it's homegrown brands or people bringing concepts or even celebrity or big name chefs to Dubai. And now to see them celebrated on a global scale, it, it feels like it's... It's only right. Now, something I find really fascinating about restaurant reviewers, whether it is you know bloggers that come in and share on their Instagram or magazine editors, guides such as yourself. Some people are anonymous. Some people love to be recognised and, and have that association of getting great service because they've got 100,000 followers on Instagram. But what I find really interesting is how guides assemble that content, how they choose who's worthy of a, you know, a, a spot on the page or 
how they are recognised and compared against their peers, are you able to lift the lid on what happens behind the scenes? Uh, yes and no. I mean, okay. the, the, the GoEMEO judging criteria are top secret. You actually have to sign an NDA wow. to be able to look at the, the scoring system. And it's incredibly detailed. But what I can tell you is that effectively what sets GoEMEO apart from other guides is that we judge from the beginning to the end of the dining experience. So from when you start making a booking, how that experience is, right through to when you leave a restaurant. So it's not just about the food oh, on the plate. That's so interesting. Would you judge someone on really bad hold music? <laughs> I would. I've not done that yet, but then... I mean, I mean, it would depend how bad it is, I think. I mean, when it's bad, and how it's long you're on hold. Exactly. I mean, those things actually are important. They do. How easy the booking experience it sets, is. It sets the tone for the whole experience. And exactly that, you know, in terms of how people follow up. But food has got to be the, you know, the bread and butter of, of the review, I'm sure. Is it all about fine dining? Um, it isn't, it isn't. It's, I mean, it's about fine dining, but it doesn't necessarily follow the, the most talks is necessarily the best food. We will recognise wonderful food and a wonderful dining experience, even if it is a bit more informal, mm-hmm. but with the recognition that that probably won't get the top scoring because it will be missing some of the areas where we apply scores. So not every restaurant is going to serve an amuse-bouche, but a restaurant that does will perhaps get a few extra points for that. Um, Not every restaurant is going to have a sommelier. Not every restaurant is going to have freshly baked bread at the start of a meal. So there are little things that might earn you some extra points that are part of that fine dining experience. But equally, Goemio was founded to recognise chefs and new talent who were doing things a bit differently Mm, back in the day when it was Nouvelle Cuisine and people were moving away from that really heavy French style of cooking that was being recognised by other guides. So Goemio has prided itself through the years on on really championing new talent and -and up-and-coming talent. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if somewhere is a little more informal that it won't be recognised, but it would probably never get the the sort of top five toque rating. Explain a toque. So a toque is the French word for a chef's hat. And um, Goemio has a sort of two-tiered scoring system. So every restaurant is scored out of 20 points. If a restaurant gets less than 10 points, we're not even going to include it in the guide. Our aim is not to criticise places. Mm -hmm. Always space on the page. (laughs) Yeah, and, and we want people to pick up the guide and know that any page they turn to, that restaurant is going to give them a very good meal. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's in the guide immediately is great. If you get over 13 points, you get a toque, which is a chef's hat. And once you get into that sort of area, you're talking about really high end, high quality dining experiences. And it goes from one toque through to five, which is a kind of once in a lifetime dining experience that you're never going to forget. So there are restaurants that maybe will never aspire I just to the to level of, of five talks because of what might, that entails. Exactly. Some might just say this isn't our style. It's, it's you know, this is just we're going to stay in our lane and there are other people that are going to do that well. But to have the recognition of what they're doing well, well, must be must be wonderful. Are you able to share some of the top scoring restaurants that have featured on the pages recently? Well, we have um, 44 restaurants in the guide that received talks. Um, seven of them received two and there are three that received three talks, which was the top score in this opening guide for Goimio UAE. Um, so that is Almuntaha, Oceana and um, 
sorry, Oceano. And uh, the third one is Armani Ristorante. Interesting. Sorry, I've not got the book in front of me. I gave it to you. I'm trying to remember them. So we've got the three that have three talks each and those are top quality dining experiences. I think that also gives people something to aspire to as well. I feel like there's a lot to be said in that kind of restraint of a first guide to say, do you know what, guys, this is what this is what we're about. This is what we're recognising in you. And let's see what develops over this first year, because that's you want chefs to be hungry for it. And that's what we're finding is that, that all of the chefs that we're speaking to are saying, this is great, but I want better next year. The ones that have got one talk want two. The ones that have got two want three. The ones that have got three want four. And we've already heard from chefs who have made changes in their restaurant based on areas that they feel that they maybe fell down a little this year. We know of one restaurant that's hired a sommelier specifically because they feel that could help them push to the next level for the next guide. And as one chef said to us the other day, What's going to be really interesting is what happens in the second guide, because this first one is is just establishing our brand in the, the region with a lot of people. But the second one is where we really see the impact that it has on the scene and, and how mm-hmm. hungry, as you say, people are to really push to the next level. Jen, last question, and it's actually come from Bella on the text line saying, who was doing the reviewing? We have a team of investigators. They're entirely anonymous. <laughs> They're completely anonymous. They um, undergo training both in France and here in the UAE, which is comprehensive and incorporates everything from classroom sessions, blind tastings, reviewing, writing. Um, we have more than 10 of them. I can't tell you who they are, but they oh. are well-travelled food obsessives and they cover a wide range of age groups, professions, nationalities. They are not journalists, bloggers or influencers and they are not chefs. So How they're not food professionals either. And where can people have a look at the website and pick up the guide? So we are at, and this is where the spelling is difficult, we're Go at gomio A-E. So G-A-U-L-T. M-I-L-L-A-U-A-E. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Really interesting to hear what's been happening behind the scenes. And when is the next guide going to be out? The next guide will be out in April 2023. So there you go, folks. Who's going to be getting a few more hats next to their name? We'll find out then. Jennifer Crichton, thank you so, so much. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.